Welcome to Parenting That Kid. My name is Ashley Tolliver. As a mom of twins, one being a highly sensitive child who responds to the world in a non-traditional and sometimes challenging way, I understand the desire to find the golden answer. Maybe there is no golden answer, but there are resources, tips, and tricks we can all use to help us make this uniquely normal parenting journey a little more fun. This podcast is a roadmap to parenting that kid for myself and other parents. If recording my journey as I seek a clear starting point, community, and effort to normalize what sometimes feels abnormal supports at least one parent, then my time is not wasted. And hey, if it doesn't, well, there's documented proof that moms deserve a glass of wine. Cheers. Well, thank you, Shane Threat, for joining me today. We spoke about a week ago, and you mentioned something that I think is very valuable that people don't even consider when they think about ADHD. And you spoke about being a parent with ADHD, raising a child with ADHD. And after we hung up, I, I mean, I just heard my, my, my grandpa and my mother and my mother and myself and myself and my child. And I was like, oh, here's the genetic line. And you and I had just spoken about that. So I wanted to bring you on to share about parenting an ADHD child, but also being a parent with ADHD and parenting an ADHD child. And the relationship part of that is probably really intense. Actually, I can live, I can tell you, it is intense. <laughs> I am that. <laughs> so I, I would love for you to introduce yourself, what you do, who you are, and then if we can dive into that a little bit with more depth, that'd be wonderful. Hello, my name is Shane Threpp. I'm an ADHD life coach. I help people with ADHD kind of navigate life's chaos. Um, my business, uh, Creating Order from Chaos, was created to help people along every uh, aspect of life, from relationships to um, careers to parenting. And then, you know, what we do is kind of learn about you and learn about how your ADHD affects you. And we also work together to try to figure out the different tools that you need, the different things that you need from a psychiatrist, uh, different things that you need from a therapist, and kind of like what all that looks like. And we kind of figure out from step by step by step what things that you can use to kind of bring some organization and order and structure to your life, including your environment and creating something uh, really positive around yourself. And, and, you know, that's really important because it's not just about taking medication. You know, there has to be an entire process around yourself to really push you forward and keep you moving into finding your purpose and figuring out the who, what, when, where, and why, and how of you. Mm -hmm. That's, that's wonderful. I like that. It's an all around view of ADHD. It's not just one area because ADHD is not a button you can turn off and, it, and all of a sudden other things start to click. And this is your life and it is everything within your life. So I'm really excited to chat with you about that. Um, can we just dive into parenting with ADHD? Because that's really hard. <laughs> just yeah. to be honest, I'm, it's really tough. And I think if you are not a parent with a child that has ADHD or you yourself do not have ADHD, you don't really understand how difficult and hard I will say that with a caveat that it is also super amazing because I always tell my daughter, you have a superpower that nobody else has. Well, other people, but she doesn't know her friends if they do or don't. But I just tell her that because I want her to feel empowered by what she has. But as a parent, when I close that door and say goodnight to her, I'm also just overly exhausted because it is a lot to parent an ADHD child. And so I would love for you to share your knowledge on that, your ideas, your tips, your support. I mean, you have a massive Facebook group that is extremely supportive with ADHD life in general. And so I think you have a lot of things that you can share with my, my listeners, parents. Yeah. You know, I think you kind of touched on it. You know, I, I don't, I don't ascribe to the superpower part, right? 
not because I don't like the idea of it, the positivity and everything, but there is a lot of things that due to the way our society treats uh, neurodivergence makes things very difficult when it comes to ADHD. And I think the more we educate people on what ADHD actually does to people and how it affects people, the more we can get people to start being more um, accepting of neurodivergence overall. And, you know, but that starts in the home, right? You know, I have an 18 or a 19 year old, I have a, a 15 year old and I've got twin three year olds, right? Out of the four of them, at least three of them probably have ADHD that I know of, you know what I mean? And, you know, because things present differently between male, female uh, in ADHD, not because of ADHD having any kind of specifics to that, but because people's life experiences and, and, and presentations are different. It's just a it's a really, it's just kind of like juggling a whole bunch of different sized and different shaped, um, well, shapes to be completely truthful, tr uh, completely truthful. Like think of a square, a cube and a, a triangle and a circle and, you know, a sphere and stuff like that. And you're trying to juggle all of them, you know, and in the middle of all this, you're like, you're like, oh, hey, there's a bunny. Well, crap, <laughs> dropped a ball. Okay, pick it up. Let's go. Let's go back into it. And, uh, you know, a lot of it, a lot of parenting started with me you know, and making sure I understand who I was, making sure I was working on the trauma from my childhood and having a parent who was really abusive and also looking back likely had ADHD, you know, and like I learned a lot of really bad lessons from him. And that's the thing about ADHD. We don't have a whole lot of um, self-awareness or the because of the metacognition section of our brain, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that we know and understand about ourselves comes from our environment, right? We don't like inherently know who we are. We only know who we are based on the people around us and what they tell us about ourselves. And so if we have a parent who's super negative, if we've got teachers who are super negative, even well-meaningly negative about things, you're not living up to your potential. Think That seems like a really, hey, we want you to work harder, right? But the problem is, is in, and when a person with ADHD hears that, they're not make, they're not meeting that expectation and they need to do something to get better, but that also becomes a part of their personality. Right. They never feel like they meet that expectation until they start to get, uh, getting to understand the um, how to gain some sort of reward system because we don't have an inherent reward system. It has to be an external one. So if we don't get the praise that we're expecting, all we ever get is the negative uh, uh, criticisms. That's when we start to see our, our, our personalities start to shift and we start to absorb that in, uh, negative energy and things like that. And I don't mean in a metaphysical woo sense. I mean, actually, that's how we develop our personalities based on the people around us. Right. And uh, that's really, that's really hard. So as a parent, you have to really be careful. Um, my wife is always really good about this because, you know, our natural inclination is to tell our children to stop that. <laughs> well, right. what do you want the child to stop? Right. Right. When we don't, when we aren't really clear with our children, they just kind of learn that there's a, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. What did I do wrong? Right. It's just kind of a freeze moment. But sometimes we need them just like to, hey, you know, let's make sure we're doing it this way. Or we need to give them guidance and, and how to's and things like that, because we need to start very early on, regardless of whether or not you think your child has ADHD or autism or anything like that. 
putting in place that positive environment, because regardless of how they grow up and if they are uh, do have ADHD or do have autism, giving them that positive environment from the very get go will work with any child. And so you have to have a positive parenting uh, style. Um, as people over the age of 30, 35, we grew up in a culture where spanking was a thing, right? Like that, that's the, that was the natural pun- punishment discipline for many of us, even outside of abusive uh, homes. And now we know, due to studies that have been done in the Netherlands and other places in Germany and here in the United States of massive long-term studies of over 20,000 kids, that spanking, even lightly, even generally speaking, causes brain trauma in children between the ages of uh, birth to 12 years old. They don't have the cognitive ability to understand, I did this wrong, I got hit. The person I'm supposed to trust most in the world who says that they love me the most just hit me. Right. That's what goes through their mind. Right, right. Right. They may recognize after the fact, after you sit here and explain to them, hey, this is what what you did wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But the first initial reaction is, ouch, you know, crap, trauma, you know, trauma happens. This is made worse by um, when you have ADHD or autism or something along those lines, because we... We a don't have the self-awareness to recognize even after you tell us that we did something wrong because we don't know how that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, we know it's wrong if we have a natural consequence, like don't touch the burner out, you know, natural consequence. But we don't really have an inherent understanding of that until it's explained very clearly. And even then, we may have already shut down due to the trauma of being hurt. We develop uh, PTSD at four times uh, the normal rate of a neurotypical child. Um, and over much more minor things. So hitting us is literally causing us trauma. Trauma makes ADHD worse. So it's like a vicious cycle there. Four times, PTSD four times. Mm -hmm. Would you say, is that statistically because the consequence, so we'll just say spanking because that's what you're talking about. The consequence makes zero sense and it's therefore you're not going to change. So it happens more often. Um. Yes, that's part of it. The other part of it is is how our emotional dysregulation works. Okay. Uh, emotional dysregulation is a known uh, component of ADHD and autism. Right. And so the way that we perceive the world is very much on triggers. Mm-hmm. And when you um, when you do something that's a, that's a harmful to a child that sticks into their uh, hippocampus as a memory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when they experience that kind of tone from another person or a parent or a teacher or things of that nature, uh, it triggers a response for us, regardless of the situation or not, it triggers a response for us. And in, then since it triggers that response for us, it hits our amygdala and activates our fear, flight, uh, fright, fixed reflexes. And that causes us to have a constant state of uh, anxiety because we either lash out at whatever causes us to have that trigger or we retreat into ourselves because our prefrontal cortex of our brain doesn't isn't able to send that same signal that neurotypical children has to say, wait, let's look at this actually. Hold on before you make that reaction. Hold on before you, you know, like retreat into yourself. It we just react. We just it hits the amygdala and we and we do things. So then we see behaviors. Then we see um, 
depressions. We see anxieties forming. We see that these different issues, these different mental health issues that come from literally having our amygdala activated constantly over and over again, because we have now set in triggers from spanking, from yelling, from abuse, from sexual trauma, all of these different things that happen to kids throughout their childhood sometimes. Wow. Wow. This explains a lot of the uh, reading that I have done. And and in my own parenting, I've experienced that rewards. You had mentioned that rewards. It's so important. And my, my children respond better when we have a reward system in place where you've earned this type of thing. Any of this, you don't get this. We're taking this away. All that, that just, it really is like going in one ear and out the other and then nothing stops. And we just like this repeat cycle. But then there is this other side of, when this happens, this good thing comes about, or this ex- amazing experience happens, I find that we don't have the struggle one in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have repeat actions or things. So it, that's just, and it's so logical based off of what you're sharing. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Boy, it makes parenting easier when you figure that out. Right. Because here's the thing kids with ADHD, people with ADHD, mm-hmm. autism kids, um, kids with autism and things of that nature, we, again, we, it, external input gives us the cool things that we like right because we don't have our own reward system we don't have the same kind of memory system so we don't remember things as well especially if there's a negative things we repress those a lot um but what we do see is like you said uh, you know giving people positive encouragement giving them some sort of external reward things of that nature because we feel things more, right? We feel things more than other uh, kids because of the, how the emotional system works and the memory works. There's a thing called re- recognition responsive euphoria. It's cre- uh, it was a, a phrase uh, brought up by um, Dr. Ned Hallowell. And essentially what it is, is it's the, uh, the opposite of rejection sensitivity. It is the praise and the encouragement and the rewards that people give us. We gain um, a kind of a euphoric sense of happiness from that. And that produces a dopamine for us. And we also get the serotonin. And that locks in a positive, happy memory so that when we get that triggered later on, we get have that memory of positive, happy stuff. It comes forward. We react in response. And so we, we see this super exuberant response to getting a gold star that they know that they yeah. can turn in later on um, of, of, okay, uh, I was really good. My mom said that uh, if I was really good and I was going to be uh, doing things, she would get me a toy from this place, you know, because I helped with the chores. I helped with these things. And having those memories and having those triggers for the happy memories allows them that whenever they know that they're going to go help with dishes or help with chores, go mow the yard, go do these things, now they have triggers. Okay, I did this really cool cool thing for my mom and dad this time. This happened. This happy thing happened. Now, what does that mean as a parent, though? Well, it means if you don't have a lot of resources, money things of that nature, you may not want to do a physical reward every single time, but you do have to give them that encouragement. You do have to give them that positive experience by doing something, making sure that you're working with them on something, reading a book with them, doing the things that they really enjoy. So if your kid is like really hardcore into Legos, like maybe it's not getting them more Legos, but maybe it's you sitting down and giving them undivided attention and building something with them, even if it's not, even if you're not really good at it praise them as they're making something amazing you know what i mean and and that 
that personal attention is an amazing reward for them because they need that connection with positivity and a positive role model so that they understand what that looks like, external input. We need that to learn. And here's the hard part. When you're a parent with ADHD, you know, you have to learn these external things and how to and how to apply them to your own kids. But at the same time, you also need these external things to make sure that you are feeling like you're a good parent. And that comes from your spouse. And that comes from teachers. And, you know, that comes from the kids you know, friends coming over and like, oh, hey, your dad is so cool. Like, they, you know, we don't want them like running over us and like, you know, going hog wild with, you know, backyard wrestling or something like that. We want them to be safe. But we, by giving, getting that input from the people around us that we are good parents, that we are doing good jobs, we then get our own recognition response of euphoria. And we also start uh, attributing really positive men- memories for triggers and things of that nature. So it's kind of a round robin there. And it's, and it's really important, that positive environment, that positive reward system, that positive input, the clear directions, clear, uh, um, constructive criticism that is actually helpful and beneficial and not negative, you know, (laughs) my dad's favorite, (laughs) you're the dumbest smart kid I know, right? How many mixed signals are there right now? (laughs) Like, I don't know how to take that dad, you know? Uh, (laughs) So... Wow, that is so cool. I and it and I can see the challenge in that mm-hmm. as a parent, especially when you're just starting to learn this and implement this in your family or in your relationship with your child. That would lead me to wonder then about relationship with parents, right? Mm-hmm. Your spouse parenting that child, and if one is not ADHD, that parent is just life's going smooth and happy go lucky. How does that then work with this parent? who needs this type of style with the, and they both have the same child. They both have an ADHD child. Mm-hmm. How is that relationship? Um, and can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I think that's, that's households. One yeah. <laughs> so, uh, my wife is neurotypical. Um, yeah. however, I do, I do have the luck that she's also uh, a special needs teacher. So she gets this stuff. Yeah. One of the yeah. biggest lessons I've learned from her was, her knowledge of ADHD and autism and, and how to create that environment of positivity and giving clear instructions and, and, and patience and things of that nature is what gives us the power to be able to give our kids that, uh, that, um, same environment. Right. She, it was like, it was one of the reasons why we clicked so well is she understood who I was from the very get go. And she taught me how to communicate effectively. She taught me how to, you know, learn and understand when she was wanting me to do things. And she gave very clear instructions. I never had to really worry about guessing as to how she wanted me to do things, especially if there was chores that she wanted done done a specific way. And she never felt made me feel ashamed. She always made me feel really safe and trusted and honest and ability. I had the ability to come to her and talk about things and go through things with her and kind of, you know, and I, I just never had to fear how she was going to react to things. And unfortunately, that's not every relationship. Right. But 
and we see this a lot in my men's ADHD support group where like the spouse doesn't understand ADHD. They don't understand, you know, the, what, what the struggles of what it means to be a man and, and have all these really crazy ass emotions and, and fears and insecurities. And they're really, they gaslight a lot, even unintentionally they gaslight because of the stigma around, you know, if, even if you have ADHD, you should be able to just push through it. You're a man. You're supposed to be this certain type of person. You're supposed to be strong, stoic, all of these things that the male stereotype in our society is supposed to be. And many of them are toxic and they don't understand this and they don't know this and they don't know how to communicate with their wives and they don't know how to communicate with their husbands about what this means to them. So the biggest part of parenting with ADHD, especially if one of the parents is uh, neurotypical, both people need to learn about ADHD as much as possible. Both parents need to understand autism as much as possible, pos- as much as possible. Both parents need to really have a very clear understanding of any disability of what their child is going through, because it's easy when there's a physical disability, right? Right. Whenever the child is, has uh, multiple sclerosis or, or cerebral palsy or, or things of that nature, that's a thing. Okay. I can see that. Okay. Obviously they have a disability. Um, but whenever it comes to mental health things, it's not, as visible and you're stressed and you're frustrated because your your kid is just screaming in frustration because you haven't learned how they are trying to communicate with you so now they are having a behavior because they're trying to communicate they're trying to express i need this thing i want this thing and you don't know how to understand what they're saying and so you're frustrated you lash out at them now they're dealing with trauma so you have to learn how to communicate with your kids. You have to learn and give them the resources to be able to communicate effectively with you. Both parents have to be on the same page and understand this, because if you've got one parent who is really taking the time to understand it, it, you know, whether it's the ADHD parent or if it's the neurotypical parent, that that child is going to constantly keep running to them to get things from them. And the other parent is going to start feeling left out. And like, why are they afraid of me? Well, they're afraid of you because whenever they do yell, uh, ask for things or yell for things, you either ignore them or yell at them because you don't, you don't understand how they're trying to talk to you. So again, my wife uh, taught me how to communicate with my kids and her by just, you know, showing me. Um, And so when our kids are super young, like toddlers, we really started early on really working to try to understand what they were trying to tell us we asked them questions what do you need from us what do you want from us can you take me to it can you show me we have a board on the wall that has a lot of the common things that they need and they can point at it and you know we really try to take the time to do that instead of yelling if they're screaming and hollering we want to try to figure out what's wrong because they are something is bothering them right Your kids may have a sensitivity to their clothing if they have ADHD or autism. They may have a sensitivity to sounds. They may have a sensitivity to sights, how the lights are, and and things like that. And there's no way for them to express that. You you may see them close. You may see them like cover their eyes. You may see them like holding their ears. You know, like trying to take their clothes off. But we don't always recognize that as a communication. We just see them trying to take their clothes off. Right. It's a behavior. And so be, and so we have to recognize that all behaviors are communication. 
And, you know, there's obviously there are situations like oppositional defiance disorder and other things that are like that that are extremes. But again, there's still communication. They're still seeking attention. They're still trying to get something, even if it's not something that's safe for them or that they really need or things along those lines. And so it's just really... I love how you talked about in your ears and your mouth, because that that's kind of the first time we learned something with my son. We were in big crowds, way too loud. And he would, his reactions were massive, right? Like, like people would say, oh, a tantrum. Well, no, I mean, there was a reason. And so I quickly figured out that he didn't like the sound and I just bought earphones. <laughs> we just put headsets on him and then he started to go to things and do things. And, and I, this is my next question to you. After providing a tool to a child and teaching them and working with them, do you find that these children start to, I don't know if adapt is the way, but they figure out their own comfort and tools. So now we don't actually have to bring headphones to things. What he does, in fact, he asked me to stop doing that, but he has figured out if I stand here or if I move here, or if I, you know, just don't even go in. And now he can say, I don't even want to go in there. He has learned his own coping mechanisms and tools. Have you figured, found that with children that the parents first are the ones and then the children find and start to discover their own? Right. Um, uh, we see this a lot, especially when we start teaching, uh, when I start teaching the parents how to really teach how to critically think. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Words, yeah. So critical think critical thinking is very much like a language. Yeah. If you start when the child is very young, they have the, the, the neuroplasticity of their brain to pick this up, this language up, and start to apply it to their lives. We see this with uh, American Sign Language, Spanish, English, all of these different languages that children at a very young age can pick up just because their brains are so firing off, are firing off so quickly. So if as we're learning about ADHD and we are educating our children about ADHD or autism or things of that nature and learning how to communicate with them and effectively under, you know, get them to understand complex uh, problems and things of that nature, putting things in place like helping them with puzzles so that you're constantly activating the cognitive abilities, giving them uh, shape recognitions and all of these different things at a very young age, we can then start really working on um, critically thinking. Now, here's the thing. Our normal lessons for our kids, respect your elders. Uh, don't question authority. Don't, you know, what authority says is right. Authority always being parents, grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, uh, teachers. You know, we don't really teach them that it's okay to think for themselves. We don't really teach them that it's okay to question things and get answers and find out how this process works. And because when we have that really super curious child, what do we do whenever they keep asking a hundred hundred thousand questions? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, like, like you get frustrated and that's normal. Right? right. But we have to, we have to encourage that because I love what Neil deGrasse Tyson said. Uh, he, he was on a talk show and he, um, and he says, when you see a child like knock over a glass of water and it dumps on the floor, that child just performed an experiment. Children are scientists. They have to experiment to learn the world. And so now they've dumped the water onto the floor. There's a natural consequence that comes from that. They have to get, they have to go get a parent or they have to go get a, a, a authority figure. And they have to say here, I dropped this, my bad. And okay, what do we learn from this? Okay, well, we know if we would drop it from this height, it hits the floor. If it's a hard floor, it shatters, and now there's glass everywhere. I may have cut myself, natural consequence. Also, now I have to clean up water. And so the parent says, okay, here's your towel. Now clean up. 
And then if they need to learn that, you show them how to clean up the water. It is an unlesson learned. They didn't learn that they are a failure. They didn't learn that the mistake that they made is horrifyingly bad. They didn't learn these. They learned a valuable lesson. Okay, it hit, hit hard ground. I got cut. Ow. My mom and dad took care of me. Then we cleaned it up. So there's a cause and effect. We're teaching them to critically think about the things that they do around themselves. And, and as they keep learning these lessons, they keep going, okay, I made this mistake. What did I learn from it? That's what we need to really teach them is how mistakes lead to consequences and what do I learn from it? Right. We don't teach our kids that. We don't teach our kids that in, um, in, in a lot of parenting households. We don't teach our kids that in our education system. We teach that if you make a mistake, you failed. Mm. If you failed a test, you, you failed that test and you can't do anything about it. Right. Right. right? We don't learn that mistakes and failures are the path to success. We only learn mistakes and failures. And so we have to start very young with critically th uh, critical thinking skills and really immerse immersing them in what critical thinking means, because then they start being able to come up with their own solutions to the problems that they're facing. I'm in a, I'm in a really overwhelming place. What can I do to solve my problem? And so now they're a little bit more independent and they're not having to constantly have behaviors towards the parent. The parent has less stress. The parent is able to pay more attention to the child and give them the, you know, making sure that they have the tools needed to solve their problem. The child also understands how to ask for tools. I need my headphones. Um, I'm getting overwhelmed. They both know that they're getting overwhelmed because we've taught them and showed them and they're thinking about it and they're able to critically evaluate their environment around themselves. And now they can ask for the tool that they know can help them. Mm. And, and that's really important. And again, it's a language. You have to start very young. They have to learn that mistakes are mistakes and that's okay. Here's what we learned from it. We, they have to learn that failure is a part of success and that it's not the end thing. That's not the end of it. All right. I failed. What did I learn? What can I do better next time? Yeah. And that positive encouragement, that positive feedback, that positive how to right? these lessons really help you, especially if you have kids with ADHD and autism, because they don't have that self-awareness and they don't have the self um, uh, the concepts around themselves to be able to really see that th those things on their own until they are specifically taught with language that they understand. Hmm. That's so cool. It's, it is, it's an, an entire different language. If that's not what you were raised about, raised around, now you have to figure out that language as well. Um, and then as a parent, starting to change your own language, your actual words and the response and the words you're choosing and the reactions you're choosing. And you have to consciously or critically think about it as well. I have a question. So if you are a parent and your child has ADHD, but you yourself have never been diagnosed. I find that most parents after their child has been diagnosed, they go, oh, <laughs> right. They, they start to reevaluate themselves like, oh, right. <laughs> You're what? I mean, after my daughter was diagnosed, that's my mom went probably she, oh, wait, my dad, right? Like we started going down the chain in our family. But now you're an adult and you, you have learned coping mechanisms, whether they're healthy or not as a child. And you are an adult with ADHD who has now been diagnosed. I would love to hear your um, thoughts, advice, tips on somebody who maybe is just the beginning because their child and now they as an adult are experiencing this and their next steps and your, um, yeah, your support for what you would say to somebody who can just came and said, okay, I'm diagnosed, what's next for me? 
Um, oh, okay. No, that's deep. Sorry. No, yeah. So this is going to be a long answer because there's a lot involved here. Um, so heads up, guys. Um, uh, whenever you have just been newly diagnosed with ADHD, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. You're going to be really frustrated because you've let you've lived your life, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with you. Everybody has given you so much input about all the failures and mistakes and the negative criticism that you've done all your life because, you know, they didn't understand ADHD. They didn't understand autism. You only absorbed all this negativity about yourself and that's how you've built your personality you've you've developed imposter syndrome at this point you've developed rejection sensitivity at this point and there's a lot of frustration there because you're like oh my god they're you know and like and there's a lot of misunderstanding because you don't really know a whole lot about adhd you've only seen the the news stories or the the people complaining about their uh, brother or sister who have have ADHD, or you were one of those people who made fun of the kids who were in the special needs classes and things of that nature, or you were one of the people who was afraid to be seen as that. So you masked, you masked to try to hide those things about yourself so that the peers didn't come at you about it. And sometimes that masking involves cruelty towards other people because you don't want to be seen at that, as that person. So you distract from your own issues by pointing out, other people's issues and that develops a lot of negativity right especially if you didn't have a very positive uh, household because you likely didn't because you were super frustrating and as you know we've seen in the past your average uh, neurodivergent child has developed or normally by the age of 10 to 12 has had 20,000 more negative criticisms towards themselves than neurotypical children well that's huge yeah it is a massive number you know, of course, it's an average and it's not across like every household. But as a parent, think about how many times you negatively uh, criticize your child, you know, and it's, even if it's well-meaning stuff like, you know, uh, again, we go back to like what I said earlier, you know, you're not living up to your potential. You're not you're not doing it. You're not doing this right. Why are you you know, why can't you be like this person making comparisons to other people? If you were like this person, you could be hugely successful. Oh. Yeah. Neurodivergent kids don't see that as a challenge. They see that as a failing. Again, we go back to they didn't learn critical thinking. They don't have a positive environment. They are developing these negative images of themselves. That continues all the way through adulthood whenever you go into college and you can't quite make it because you've had a regimented elementary, middle school, and high school that you had to go to this class, this class, this class. You learned this thing, this thing, this thing. You had to pass this one test at the end of the year. And if you didn't pass it, you screwed the entire school over, right? right? That's how our current education system's uh, set up due to no child left behind and uh, things done in Obama's uh, thing where money is is is. Uh, given out based on test scores Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so because you had that whole regimented you're now in college and you 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 try to do your thing there but you don't know you have adhd and so you keep either messing up in college and you fail out or you happen to hit the stride and find the thing that you're really good at and you find a, a healthy coping mechanism by doing the thing that you really enjoy doing that you fell into Right. And now you're an adult, right? You get out of that, you find a job. It doesn't quite work out for you. There's a lot of issues there. You're not able to do this thing, this thing, and this thing very well. You lose the job or you get bored with it. 
and you self-sabotage. So now we, as an older adult, you've looked back at your life, you've learned that you had ADHD and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> like, like this, this explains so much. Oh my God. And you, you have a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD and you're like, oh man, what the hell? What do I do? And you're like very, okay, so now we're overwhelmed. Right. And so the first few months of learning that you have ADHD, there's all this going on. You're trying to figure this stuff out. And if you don't have time for it, if you're working constantly or, you know, you're super stressed out about your child, like, here's the thing. You've got to set things to the side and start really learning about yourself right? because you've built up a lot of negative uh, things here. So you have to go to a psychiatrist. Hopefully you went to one to get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Once you see a psychiatrist, you have to figure out if you have other comorbidities because a person with ADHD is 50% more likely to have depression, PTSD, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, all these different things. You know, on top of that, then you have to, you, you have to see a therapist because you have to learn what it means to have ADHD, what your emotions are, like how to identify emotions, how to identify trauma, how to identify triggers from trauma. And you have to understand the emotional dysregulation and how to kind of move around it and work with it and try to figure out how to not lash out at people. And that means, again, going back to understanding your triggers and now coping mechanisms that are healthy, getting into an environment that's quiet, getting into uh, an environment where you're you have music and you're kind of able to focus on kind of like calming down because we hold on to our emotions longer as well. Hmm. So. All of these things that you didn't know about yourself, you are now having to learn. And again, since our metacognition and self-awareness isn't the greatest, we don't know the how of it. We don't know the why of it. We don't know the where of it. We don't know the who of it, right? And we don't, we also have to deal with time blindness from the when. So all of these different things that we have to really start figuring out. And at this point, you have to learn to take things step by step. I need to learn this about myself. I need to learn about ADHD and how it's affecting me. I need to learn how to put tools in place so I can figure out the, um, the time blindness, how to cope with the emotional dysregulation, um, when to do things on a regular basis, how to set alarms. We have to learn all these different tools from ourselves. And that's where a life coach comes into play. We teach you and give you those tools. We show you the ways that you do that. And we work with you to, do it on your own terms. There's no way to sit here and tell a person with ADHD, you need to do this, this way, this, this way, this, this way, this, this way, right? They rebel against it. They, they lash out against it. No, no, I can't do that because they may be an analog kind of person where they need to write things down. They need a, a journal. They need a, a paper calendar. They need post-it notes and stuff like that. They may be a digital person, right? They need it. They need, they want everything on their phone, the alarms and all that stuff. Okay. They may be a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Also, they need to learn how they learn. Are they a (laughs) kinesthetic learner, which is the most often we see with ADHD. And that means you need input and output from yourself to other people, interaction, working with somebody, using your hands, using actions, using um, um, debates and discussions to kind of flesh out the ideas and understanding. This is why therapy is so important, that back and forth that you have from a therapist so that you're learning about yourself. This is how you start to understand what kind of work can you do. Right. Because now you understand how you learn. Right. You're a kinesthetic learner or a visual learner, an auditory learner. What does that mean? Or you're a combination of the three. You know what I mean? But now that you know this about yourself, you can go to your boss and say, I don't really learn well by just somebody showing me I need to be actually doing it. 
Um, I don't work well with just somebody um, showing me how to do this. I need to hear and understand what you're trying to get across to me. Do you have videos and, 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 or, or podcasts or uh, audio books I can listen to, to kind of gain a better understanding of this while I'm working? Like you have to know these things about yourself. That's, that's what learning about your ADHD is so important because you have to learn about yourself. We didn't learn this in school. We didn't learn this in college. And so now once we are doing this, we have to also listen to the people who are teaching your kids. Both of my uh, three-year-olds, because they were born at 27 weeks, were able to get, um, um, and my daughter has a mild CP diagnosis, were able to get early intervention put in place from a very early age. So we had a physical therapist and an occupational therapist and a speech therapist who would come to a house and, and, you know, we would talk to them about how to do these things. And they also spend a lot of time teaching the parents, this is what we're looking for. This is what it looks like. These are the things to be aware of. This is the kind of encouragement that your child needs. This is a communication method that they might be find useful, right? How do we how do we do these? So, we are seeing more of that being available to uh, parents. Um, unfortunately, we're not seeing a lot of that being available to all parents. So. Uh, people of color, people who don't have access to healthcare, people don't who uh, people whose uh, kids go to um, uh, poorer um, schools who don't have access to the resources like that that um, are so stuck on um, having to pass that test at the end of the year to get the money to be able to have at least a bare minimum of resources the next year, and so that's where the parents have to really do their best unfortunately the parents are having to work uh two jobs three jobs off schedules they're having to work um figure out daycare they're having to figure out when they're going to eat they're going to have to figure out all these different things and they so those kids don't always have the same access to the resources okay. and that's really unfortunate and and that kind of goes to what um a lot of people who are advocating really need to understand is that we need to be making sure that our our parents have the resources to be able to take care of their kids the schools have to have resources to be able to educate the parents on how to take care of their kids and there needs to be a working uh relationship between parents and teachers and faculty of st- the schools that are really taking into consideration the the neurodivergence, not just of kids with ADHD or autism or special needs, but also of their own neurotypical children. Because again, we have different uh, education needs. We need certain kids have a learning style that's kinesthetic, right. but they go into a class and they say, I need to ask you a question. No, hold, you know, hold your questions. You know, be quiet. Don't speak when the teacher is speaking. They need to because they're not learning. And so now we have kids who are failing, even neurotypical kids, because there's one subject or two subjects they just don't get, right? And we expect them all to get all the subjects all correct all the time. And it's and that's, one size fits all kind of mentality. Right. Nothing is one size fits all. Right. And, and you go from classroom to classroom to classroom doing mm-hmm. the same type of learning. Right. Just, wow. Wow, it is so nuts. And I can't imagine the challenge of having to discover, well, discover and then grow about your own self as a parent. I know your child is also kind of going through the same thing. I mean, you're walking a similar path with the heaviness of being the parent and having to change years of, a, you know, and your child, thank goodness, has an earlier clean slate. 
Um, but you're going, you're walking a similar path, just different views of it. And that, that's, wow. And I love how you just said you'd have to incorporate so many things. It's not just, mm -hmm. you know, go to therapy, you'll have all the answers there. There are so many things. And so I'm only imagining it takes so long to get through all of this. It's an overnight fix. No, no, yeah. it's absolutely not. I think the most difficult thing isn't just learning alongside of your kids, which actually, in my opinion, kind of makes things a little bit simpler because all the things that your kid is learning, you should have learned and you kind of incorporate that into it. But how do you tell, how do you tell people that you've met, been around all your life as uh, uh, parents, friends, spouse, how do you tell them, Hey, I was diagnosed with ADHD and this is what it means. Mm. especially with all the stigmas, especially as a man, when you're supposed yeah. to mental health, isn't going to be as highly prioritized. Right. 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 Yeah. How do you tell them these things? And that's part of therapy. That's part of working with a life coach is learning how to communicate these things, learning how to com communicate the accommodations that you need at work mm -hmm. and also learning how to set in place boundaries. I will educate you on my ADHD you need to make sure that you are doing what it takes to learn and understand me or else I'm going to have to make sure that you don't harm me or my kids, mm -hmm. right? That's a really tough conversation, especially if the person you're having that conversation with is your wife or husband, right? right? We right. see this a lot. We say, I see this a lot in my men's group again. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but the spouse refuses to understand or take the time to learn what do you do then? You set boundaries. And if they keep abusing those boundaries, you protect your kids. Right. That means pushing people out of your life, whether or not they're your spouse, whether or not they're your mother and father, whether or not they're your brothers and sisters or anybody who is going to cause you harm because you can't live with that negativity. You can't, it, it is too dangerous for you to constantly have that negativity because while you're working so hard to build positivity, every time somebody comes at you neg uh, with negativity, it reinforces that imposter syndrome that you deal with, that rejection sensitivity that you deal with. And in many, many, many cases, it sets you back from your path. Mm. And so there's no moving forward if you keep having those people in your life. And while the pain of having a divorce is really crappy for kids to deal with and as an adult as you to deal with it is significantly better to do that and cut the um the cancer out of your life of abuse and negativity than to con con keep putting your kids and yourself through that and developing your kids developing those issues and you keeping those issues um to your you know with your own self with your depression or ptsd and staying in those um those hypercritical hyper negative environments so those boundaries that you have to learn are what's so important and also so difficult because you don't know how to communicate that effectively and, and then teaching your children how to put boundaries around their relationships because mm -hmm. as they get older you will not be there to do that for them and they right. have to learn that tool from you as a parent i think uh, one of the things i hate so much about some things that i see that um uh certain people put forward is like violating a child's uh, personal space. 
even well-meaning, right? Correct. Think of the grandmother or the aunt who, oh, you're just the cutest thing. And like, they just grab the child up and they, you know, uh, yeah. you know, they do those things. And look, I understand that's coming from a place of love and I'm not yeah. criticizing that or anything, but, you know, think about, you know, you know, what we're teaching the kids and stuff like that, whenever that happens, especially if they have social issues like ADHD, autism, mm -hmm. they're, they're learning that it's okay to invade somebody else's space without permission. Right. right. They're they're taking in that habit. They're being shown by an authority figure. That's OK. I can do that as well to other people. Right. These are such just ingrained aspects of our society that many of them are well-meaning. Many of them are really positive. But because we don't understand neurodivergence nor respect it as much as we do, should, we 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 inherently cause issues for our kids. You know, and, you know, the statistics out there sit here and point out that there's 11 per percent of kids that have ADHD, right? 11 percent. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a higher number than what like the CDC reports and things of that nature. But the studies that they did that were took in uh, consideration socioeconomic uh, circumstances and things of that nature, where the kids may not have an official diagnosis because they don't have access to health care or mental health care. But schools have made observations about it. And so they they did studies of ju not just um, diagnosis, but also schools um, advising as to a child has uh, a lot of the uh, significant signs of ADHD. And, you know, that's a, that's a big number, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You know, when you are sitting here thinking about kids with autism who also have sensitivity issues or who have personal space issues, when you, when you sit here and, and teach them boundaries, you have to sit here and say, all right, if you're uncomfortable with somebody touching you, what do you do? All right. I, I tell them, please, I, I'm not comfortable with this. How much, how difficult that is that whenever you're saying that to your grandmother or aunt or, right. or relatives and stuff like right. that. But if they don't learn these things, then they don't learn that it's not okay when somebody touches them inappropriately. Right. When they're old, or when things happen to them that are not appropriate. Right. They, what they yeah. learned that it, that this person did this, they're a person of authority. This person must be able to do things as well because they're a person of authority. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you're almost taking the power away from your child if you're not teaching in these types of things. And right. I think it's so valuable to empower our own children to experience things for them, experience it and know how to respond and then how to prevent if it's at all possible to prevent. That goes back to our discussion on critical thinking and why yep. that is so important. Again, Absolutely. all of these things that we're talking about right now, all of these things that we're teaching and explaining and stuff like that will 100% support a child who's neurotypical, mm -hmm. right? They will 100% give a child who's neurotypical the same abilities to have a great positive environment, the same ability to have critical thinking and understanding, the same ability to have boundaries and set in place uh, realistic expectations for themselves and learning and understanding mistakes and failures are uh, lead to success and understanding how to advocate and uh, for their accommodations that they may need in school because they may have learning disabilities. They may have uh, different issues with how they learn. And now they need to communicate that with the teacher. Like, you know, they need to be able to communicate with their parent. Hey, this teacher keeps telling me I can't do this thing, but it's what I need to learn. Mm 
right? Um, you know, this teacher keeps saying inappropriate things to me or other students, and I don't think that they're being very fair. We need to figure out if there's a way for them to not be that way, right? right? And that requires the critical thinking and going back in very at a very young age, teaching them the 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 the, the things and the natural consequences and how to learn from them and things of that nature. Wow, Shane, you're full of so much knowledge, and I, I love it. I love soaking in all this information, and and I love hearing somebody who's advocating for for a, for the adult side of it because the, it started young and you didn't know it, or maybe you did, but it's the adult side of life, and I want our children to have those positive role models and people around them. But if adults don't know, how can they be that until they truly deeply know and give that support? So I really think you have so much information. That's amazing. And um, it's, yeah, I love it. I, I absolutely love everything you've shared. And now you've just kind of given me some statistics that made me go, Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to expand on that, by the way, um, because, again, we go back to the socioeconomic stuff. Like mm -hmm. when you look at the CDC and what they report on people of color and, and different um, and women in general and their statistics for having ADHD is significantly lower. But we know that ADHD doesn't work that way. We know that it's likely an equal thing. There's a lot of kids out there, culturally speaking, who are missing out on the resources because of their uh, parents lack of understanding and deserved mistrust of medical professions and things of that nature due to things that have happened in the past and just mm -hmm. a pure inequality of all of this. Yeah. And as a society, we need to be really starting to focus on the equality issues that we face as a nation. And that I think is why advocacy is so important. And this is why I think parents being really involved in the, the education of their kids and the faculty and who's teaching their kids and what they're teaching their kids and and how they're teaching their kids is so important even if you're not if you even if you don't have the circumstances to allow you to do that as often as you should or could you need to be doing it you need to be very involved in what and what and how your kids are learning mm -hmm. and i think that's the biggest thing that we can see as a nation is if our parents all start getting really involved and um really really focusing on the actual needs of our kids and not things of um, other natures that are fear mongering, such as the like transphobia and bigotry and right. in, in critical race theory and stuff like that, that are just distractions. All of that is just distractions. We need to be focusing on teaching our kids and worrying about our kids and making sure that they're getting taken care of paying our teachers a right amount of money and, and increasing the access to resources for parents, yeah. increasing access to healthcare for parents, all of these things as a society we need to be doing regardless of whether or not our kids or ourselves are neurotypical and neurodivergent. Absolutely. I 100% agree. It's really, it is so critical for our, for society to only go up and not down to be able to do that. I mean, we're already seeing the results of not teaching critical thinking in our current generations. <laughs> right. And, and education is just, it's trying to figure out what it's doing now, right? I feel like education is so rocky right now. And uh, we as parents need to be involved with that because because we know our children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know our children more than, hopefully, if you are in your child's life, you know your child better than anybody else, and you send them off somewhere for eight hours a day, five days a week, you should be understanding what's happening there, too, for them. Thank you so much, Shane, for joining me. Can you share how, um, well, a couple of resources, which I have a feeling you probably have a few, and then <laughs> how my guests can get in contact with you, be more involved with what you're doing, you know, reach out and get support from you kind of thing. 
Um, my favorite uh, resources are Attitude Magazine on okay. on the internet, uh, attitudemag.com. They have an amazing parent uh, parent section, a, a great section on positive parenting and what that means. That's the big one right there is learning about positive parenting, which is a lot of what I was talking about earlier. You know, um, another one is if you're trying to learn about your own ADHD is uh, Jessa McCabe's uh, channel on YouTube, How to ADHD. She is probably one of, in my opinion, one of the best resources and communicators about ADHD and what that means to people. And I think those two things are just really huge resources for people who have ADHD, whose children have ADHD, or even if they suspect that they have ADHD, um, to go to and figure these out. Because Attitude Mag has uh, parent sections, uh, your own sections, men's sections, women's sections, kind of just an overall understanding of what it means to have ADHD. And they have multiple ways that you can learn through videos, through podcasts, oh. and through uh, reading as well. Perfect. Perfect. So it's hitting all those areas that we just talked mm -hmm. about. <laughs> okay. And how can people find you? Um, people can find me at creatingorderfromchaos.com. They can also okay. find me on Facebook at Creating Order from Chaos uh, Coaching. Um, and again, if you're a men and you're looking for a place where it's safe to find out about ADHD, find out about yourself, ask questions, even the really super sensitive ones, uh, look up Men's ADHD Support Group on Facebook. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for sharing all of your knowledge. And I, we could have gone on. I have way more. But I know that both of us have to stop. And I feel like this would be like a four-part episode. Like we'd have to <laughs> <laughs> like I could just go forever. So but I, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. And if you ever want me to come on again for something or anything like that, I'd love to come on. I love this stuff. This is um this is me finding my passion and 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 fulfilling my purpose in life. And I I just have a lot of fun doing this stuff. Yay. Thanks for listening today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead. Tell me what you liked about this episode. Give me some ideas on what you'd like to hear. Maybe you have somebody you'd like me to ask those nitty gritty questions to. I'm ready. Oh, and if you have a friend who is also the parent of that kid, click that share button and empower them with some tools and tips as well. And by the way, imperfect parent, I know parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking this parenting journey.